Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 361 from 30s through 50s, Women's Hormone Support. In today's episode, we are taking your burning questions and wow, we got some really good ones. So much so that we're actually going to split this into a two-part episode. There were over 20 questions that really we felt needed to be addressed and, you know, we have a hard time being super <laughs> concise. I'm the opposite yes. of short-winded. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we'll go ahead in today's episode and talk about lab testing to check in on fertility status. We'll talk vaginal dryness, cortisol imbalance, and the appropriateness of fasting in that scenario, libido, ovarian cysts, and just so much more. Yes, and all of that is in this part one of hormone support for women age 30s through 50s. So note that this is not limited to those ages. This is just those of you that fell in that age category, you put in some really awesome questions. So we will be talking about optimizing fertility all the way through gentle hormone transition into perimenopause and more. Can't wait to cover all of your burning questions. Before we get into it for today... We wanted to let y'all know that you've got two days, if you're listening timely when this episode airs on Monday, um, that's Labor Day, September 4th, you've got two days, September 6th is the start of our 12-week Food as Medicine Live Ketosis Program, and we would absolutely love to see you all there, and I'm sure keto is going to come up in today's episode as probably one of the primary interventions in terms of reducing cardiovascular disease risk. And again, for those listening timely, the first class we actually cover metabolic disease and cardiovascular health. So sign up ASAP so you don't miss that first class. Yes. And as we'll learn in today's episode, it's not just any type of keto that will lower LP little a. It is important that it is a Mediterranean phytocompound rich or antioxidant plant rich approach to keto. So you're still going to get all of your protein met with your grass fed, pasture raised, wild caught proteins, but we want to make sure that you're not going just carnivore or not just exclusively focused on proteins, that you're equally getting high antioxidant in the diet from herbs, seasoning, spices, and our unique food as medicine approach to keto is going to help you take your heart health as well as your body composition, your mood stability, and overall health to the next level. So we hope y'all will join us. You can grab a spot if you go to the events tab at AllieMillerRD.com. It is just $299 to join us for all 12 weeks, three months long of a program that has unique protocols to best fit your body's needs and your lifestyle. So we actually have you assess 
address where you're at with sleep and stress, what your weight loss goal is. There are going to be some individuals that are using this program to lose more than 50 pounds. There are going to be some individuals that just want to shed five or 10 or some that want to gain muscle and actually increase body weight but maybe shed some body fat in the process. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, grab a spot in our 12-week Food as Medicine Ketosis class. This includes six live classes every other Wednesday at noon Central Standard. We archive those live classes within 24 hours, so if that doesn't work for your work schedule, you can still stay timely with us. And when you do our live program, you get access to Becky and myself our brains and our motivation and support over on our Slack, which is a non-social media based chat forum where you can post anything that you need us to troubleshoot. So if you hit roadblocks along the way, or you have questions on, should I take super turmeric or inflammazyme or what type of fasting is best for me? or uh, adjusting your process as you are progressing, that's what we're here for. And our community is a great reason to participate in this live program versus doing our archive counterpoint, which also has a lot of information, but doesn't have the live element. You can't pick Becky and my brains directly like you can in the live and in the live, you get savings on labs and supplements. So if you're thinking about running this panel, for instance, you're going to get a discount code beyond what you'll receive in today's episode. You'll save hundreds of dollars on our MRT inflammatory food panel and so much more. Go on over to AllieMillerRD com and check out in our shop under our events page to join our live virtual 12-week food as medicine ketosis program. Hope to see y'all there. Yes, I'm sure keto will come up um, a little bit today too as we're talking about the role of keto in regulating hormones. Before we get into today's topic and maybe just going right into today's topic. This episode is sponsored by the Naturally Nourished Supplement line, our line, and we really want to call out and feature pretty much our favorite (laughs) product, right? Um, Especially when it comes to the world of women's hormones and fertility, relax and regulate. Yes. I think that in today's episode, you may hear this formula recommended a million times (laughs) as it is really our number one selling supplement in the entire line, but specific to optimizing hormone balance in the body. It contains two powerful ingredients, myo-inositol and magnesium bisglycinate. And these really come together in synergy to release tension in the body. So this is if we're locking in the jaw or upper shoulders or neck, it helps to protect against the chronic stress signaling in our body by actually blocking in the brain the stimulus of cortisol release so that we can get into a deep restful sleep without waking in the middle of the night. Also can get us into that parasympathetic balance where all of our hormone production is optimized. We see these two ingredients coming together to support regulatory function of metabolism, supporting insulin sensitivity, regulating blood sugar response, and even having favorable influence on liver health and lipid distribution. And that that's not all. We know that the compounds, especially myo-inositol, have a huge influence on ovarian health, on hormone metabolism, and even on uterine health, egg health, and fertility. 
Yes. So let's cover this study um, that you pulled. Um, It was 70 infertile women referred to an IVF treatment center and saw some pretty remarkable outcomes with myo-inositol. Yes. So they received 2,000 milligrams of myo-inositol twice daily, and that's equivalent to one scoop of our Relax and Regulate because there are four grams, which would be 4,000 milligrams of myo-inositol per scoop. Uh, This was the intervention group. And then uh, both the control and intervention group received supplemental folic acid. Um, In this two-month IVF and ICSI cycle, they actually measured the number of oocytes, the quality of embryos, and the implantation outcomes in the two weeks. They concluded that myo-inositol as an antioxidant-like compound can increase the pregnancy success rate in IVF, ICSI cycles, likely by improving the quality of oocytes and embryos. And we've also seen influence of the relax and regulate compounds to balance nervous system support and really extend our vitality hormonally. So we see optimal fertility helping with regulation of ovulation. Uh, We see that insulin sensitivity mechanism, enhanced egg quality, and then even uterine tissue health supporting implantation. Yes, and I want to call out the dosage in uh, the intervention group was 2,000 milligrams or two grams of mm-hmm. myo-inositol. And actually, our Relax and Regulate is going to have four Right, per so scoop. half a scoop. Um, so we're normally recommending just um, doubling down from the, the study outcomes, at least doing one scoop, if not two, depending on what else is going on hormonally and symptom-wise. Yes. So I think that the world of fertility and hormonal vitality, if you will, is just one area where Relax and Regulate shines. You can go on over to learn more at AllieMillerRD.com. We will link Relax and Regulate as a specific link in the episode as well. And to let you know as listeners, I know that sometimes when there are new people to the podcast, they'll get a little bit turned off by the amount that Becky and I talk about supplement formulas on here and our functional medicine interventions always come with direct solutions. And just sharing with y'all that this is why we actually create and manufacture and do the Naturally Nourished Supplement line to provide you direct solutions and outcomes. So we can directly say, you know, this is referring to a half scoop of Relax and Regulate. There's a direct solution from the intervention that ties to clinical outcomes and research influence. And what we can promise you and offer you is that our supplements are priced at such a great value that even if you find a competitor that's similar pharmaceutical grade, is non-GMO, has all of the standards of quality, we will guarantee that we are 2 to 5% below their retail price. Um, so we can provide you this competitive market value. We can ensure that our product is going to have additional discounts that we build in for subscribers at 10% off. We have bundles that we curate for you for an additional 12% off. And then we have monthly flash sales for our newsletter subscribers at 18% off. So we do everything we can as a US-based company that is small family and real humans that spend our time and energy to educate and empower you to also provide you with solutions. So just my little PSA (laughs) tying up our uh, supplement uh, promo, I guess, as our our true sponsorship. Um, So when you hear us recommend things, you are always welcome to shop another product. But I will likely say that you will find yourself coming back. And we know that those of you that take the Naturally Nourished Supplement line, we're so grateful for you. And we are so happy to ensure that we provide you the best quality, purity, and pricing. Yes. 
Um, we don't just want you running out and finding something off the CVS shelf, right? Because supplements can be kind of an unregulated, they are an unregulated industry. Um, and so we do all of that legwork for you to provide you these, you know, fabulous products at the best price possible. Those flash sales are a great time to stock up on some of your favorites. So whenever you see a flash sale for like relax and regulate, for example, buy three months of it Mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to like it and you're going to need it. No doubt. No doubt. Awesome. So this is the first time that we are also doing a price increase on our line in a year and a half. So if you're listening to this timely, that'll occur tomorrow. Um, Again, we've held off as long as we could and using the highest quality products in their raw form in, in manufacturing of these products, we have to keep up with industry standards, but we still are doing our best to ensure we can be as lean as possible. Um, Again, we appreciate you and we can't wait to continue to serve you and provide you with the same formulas that we use in our households for our families and all of our loved ones. All right, let's get into some listener questions. This first one is on hormone testing. Should I be getting my hormone levels tested in my 30s? Is there a best age to start to test or to compare? And also another question will kind of tie in, best test to run at age 37 to make sure all is in check. Yes. I I love this question. So, you know, we're doing our due diligence. Maybe we've weaned off birth control. We're having a regular cycle and we're just like, well, am I fertile? I want to know what's going on in my body. Um, You know, my first advice, honestly, would be that I would just start off with a salivary assessment of hormones. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus, and we will link that lab that you can order on our website if desired, which would come with a email review. This looks at three different types of estrogen. So estrone, estradiol, estriol. We also look at your estrogen quotient or the metabolism of your estrogen. We will look at progesterone and testosterone and DHEA in this as well. And then we will look at a four-point cortisol assessment, which I think is a huge thing to assess as important as any fertility marker because stress is the number one cause of infertility. So, you know, getting a true litmus of where your adrenals and your sex hormones are at, I think is the most proactive thing that you can do at, you know, an age of really checking on vitality and ensuring that everything quote unquote is balanced. We can see so much in the saliva and currently um, we'll be coming out with an episode soon comparing the Dutch to the Labrix panel. Uh, I just did the really comprehensive Dutch rhythm assessment where I collected over 14 days of urine and then did another day with saliva and urine. But what I come to a clinical barrier with Dutch is that they, when we look at urinary passing of metabolites, we can't look at interventions being measured. So if you are using bioidentical progesterone, for instance, or if you are taking pregnenolone or you're taking DHEA, um, we will get falsely elevated values. We can't see by taking where you're going to be influencing. And so if you have a baseline intervention of use of a steroidal compound, it's really not the best starting point. And, and that's why I just generally mm-hmm. <laughs> like the Labrix panel and, and that incorporation of the cortisol and the price point, I think, is pretty you know, reasonable for all things considered. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah. And the Dutch, you know, cycle mapping is certainly interesting. You're tracking your hormonal cascade over a much longer yeah. period of time. So when I'm we get excited that back, to share it. We'll, I'll, we'll share. I'll more. review it on yeah. the podcast for yeah. sure. But yeah, so my, my current recommendation is starting with a salivary assessment of hormones and uh, adrenals. And then, you know, what I like about the Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus is it also includes neurotransmitters. So we can start to look at, for instance, if GABA is elevated, we might look at gut dysbiosis as an area to address. And that would have a huge impact on fertility because we know if the estrobilome is off that that can influence pH that can influence healthy implantation um, and you know that in itself wouldn't necessarily show up per se something to address preceding totally Um, let's talk about AMH and whether that's a reliable marker whether that's something we could you know get done with our OBGYN um, and thoughts in general on um, like blood hormone testing on day three yeah so you know I think AMH is said to be statistically very accurate. Uh, It looks at the likelihood of fertility success based on the reserves, if you will. Um, It's an ovarian test reserve standing for anti-mullerian hormone. Um, And it's said to be, you know, 80% plus accurate or 78.95 or 80% accurate. Um, it basically looks at the quantity of a egg count, um, but it, it does not provide qualitative information and um, it's not a direct correlation, like it's not a true egg count mm-hmm. per se. Um, but there is a strong trend that when AMH levels are low, that that would be a consideration for someone to maybe look at some more advanced uh, markers, and this is where then I would recommend looking at like a pelvic ultrasound uh, or what is more accurate. Um, and I've done myself as a transvaginal ultrasound where you would look at follicle count. Um, and so this is a better way to really see if you see uh, 10 follicles is goal. Um, this would be more true of visualization of the ovary at early follicles, generally around like um, day three is when they try to assess this. Um, and they're able to really determine more egg potential, egg total, um, and then a little bit of qualitative visual as well. Okay. Um, and I know AMH can be um, falsely low with like birth control use. I don't know how long off the top right. of my head suppression um, that suppression would last for, but I imagine if we've recently come off of birth control or looking to get pregnant, we might get a falsely low rating. And I think for some women that can be like, you know, really scary. It feels Um, daunting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, so it's typical to assess fertility looking at an AMH at day three. And that would generally be also with an estradiol, uh, FSH or follicular stimulating hormone, and then luteinizing hormone or LH. And so those four markers are often classically called like the day three fertility test. Um, again, I would not advise doing this pro pro vigilantly. I would advise actually doing the Labrix panel, understanding how your hormones are regulated. That might be indicator that you might need to go on bioidentical progesterone, for instance, which would also help with the stress influence as an anxiolytic tool. Um, I just think a lot more results focused. And then if you need to take things next level, that that's something that you can consider. Um, and you know, especially if someone knows that they want to be a mom and they're open to doing IV and they're considering egg harvesting, that would be something that you'd want to then consider as you enter that thought process. Totally. Um, And then day three, you wouldn't test your progesterone on that day anyway. You would test that on day 20 typically with blood. We look at the Labrix between 19 and 23, just kind of depending on the length of your cycle for that post-ovulatory progesterone peak, Mm -hmm. ideally. Um, And like Ali's saying, it's typically going to be more accurate. A lot of times I see, you know, 
day three and day 20, everything looked quote unquote normal um, in the blood. And yep. still we've had this, you know, longstanding history of infertility or something else is going on. So I prefer Labrics for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, if we are looking at, again, entering into the world, because this was a preventative, so I won't even go mm-hmm. into other things yeah, yeah. like looking at inflammation if dealing with infertility or whatnot. But so yeah, preventative, that's what you should do. <laughs> Saliva hormones and neurotransmitters in the urine. And then I think it doesn't hurt preventative um, or I'm sorry, more like proactive, I should say, not preventative, proactive for fertility. Um, I would say multivalent mama. It's recommended that you're on a prenatal at least one year prior to conception, but it does not hurt to be on a prenatal for four or five years prior. Uh, there are added benefits in a little bit more nutrient density that you get in multivalent mama that can support uh, vibrant, robust uh, hair health. We can see benefits on metabolism and blood sugar response, uh, so and stress and energy with the B complex that's in there. Um, so I think that that's a fantastic baseline. And then you know if we're looking at optimizing egg health and vitality, CoQ10 complex is always something I would throw in there. Guess what? Relax and regulate mm-hmm. would be in here because this is going to play a role with the stress story and the sex hormone production. And then if we know we're stressed but don't have the finances right now to test the salivary hormones and cortisol, maybe just layering in the adaptogen boost and incorporating adaptogens into the diet. Yep. I think that's all a really good starting point, whether you're trying to conceive right now or just kind of thinking about it a couple of years down the line. All right, let's talk about this one. Vaginal dryness with low libido. What do I do? Okay, so the first thing when I think on the world of low libido is DHEA. And DHEA is made by our adrenal glands. It is a precursor to estrogen and metabol- estrogen and testosterone, excuse me. Um, so it's a hormone building block for estrogen and testosterone. And DHEA also plays a role with stress resilience and tolerance. It plays a role with metabolism and muscle mass, and then even cognition. And within DHEA's world as a hormone building block and also in that stress resilient story, it has huge trends with libido and drive and vigor. So when DHEA is low, I kind of think of like a stretched out rubber band that doesn't have that like that pull or that rebound or that um, vigor, that drive, right? That chutzpah. Um, And so the first thing we might want to look into is our DHEA levels. This would be assessed in that Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, or you could ask your doctor to run a DHEAS, which is DHEA sulfate. Um, And this would be a standard blood test and could at least tell you if you're running low. Now, there is a, as far as specific to vaginal dryness, I am a huge proponent of Jolva, which is the product made by a friend, Dr. Anna Kabeca. We've had her on the podcast three times, I think. Right, Becky? I think so. Not four, but three. Uh, And uh, so we will link all of her episodes. You know, she is fantastic and does a lot of work in the world of women's hormones. She's an OBGYN and uh, just really forward thinker with her Keto Green book. And um, she has a line of products and the top product of her line is Jelva. And this is a blend of natural ingredients. So coconut oil with shea butter, it contains some DHEA in there, as well as emu oil, alpine rose stem cell, and vitamin E. And this is applied to the vulva, clitoris, and surrounding skin. And it plays a role with vaginal lubrication, uh, but also can play a role with 
restoring moisture, uh, playing a role with enhancing orgasm, sexual excitement, while even supporting bladder control with that DHEA in there. And within the changes on vaginal tissue, there can be less pain and irritation. So even if the individual's getting like chafing, maybe not even with sexuality, but with, now they can't wear jeans anymore because of vaginal dryness, um, that that can be resolved as well as sensation. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, Dr. Kabeka says that you can apply like a half an ml um, and she recommends doing this daily as like a loading dose for a month and then you can go down to like four to five times a week more as maintenance Um, it can also be applied via toilet paper and just kind of like wiped on in the morning um, or evening as desired Uh, but that would be my number one go-to there so I will link a code to Jolva Um, Dr. Kabeka gave me a code for savings for podcast listeners so I'll be sure to link that in the podcast and we'll include that in the newsletter as well okay um and then going to the low libido piece of the puzzle as well um i would look at your hormone levels so back to kind of the the same standard tests um of doing a salivary hormone assessment um if maybe we've used jolva for a couple of months we're not really getting any results let's get those dhea levels checked let's look at estrogen and progesterone maybe we're really bottoming out on our sexual hormones because of stress um and i would look at you know stress is kind of the other end of that spectrum right which is why i love the salivary because it looks at the whole picture you know um and if your estrogen levels are low you know that would be a time that it would be consideration of hormone replacement therapy which i'll pause because we'll take that on in another question uh but getting your baseline hormone values assessed would be really important for sure Uh, And then I do like also as lubricant options, I like coconut oil, I like hyaluronic acid, Uh, Reverie Bonafide is a very clean product um, that's paraben free, Um, so much better than like Astroglide Mm -hmm. (laughs) or some of those other uh, lubricants out there. Uh, So I'll be sure to link that on the Amazon store. And then uh, I also would consider our women's flora probiotic because this plays a huge role with vaginal pH regulation, which can not only prevent UTIs, which is important, that tends to occur as we see more vaginal dryness, uh, but we also see that the women's flora probiotic can favorably impact uh, the, of course, microflora in that area, which can further protect against yeast or BV, which would drive more dryness and also has favorable impact on antioxidant in cervix area, so forth. Uh, so that's a really great formula to consider as well for vaginal health. And then my last area on libido is just if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. Um, you know, I'm sure that this will resonate with listeners of like, how many times do you have sex? And you say, oh, that was so worth it. Why don't we do this so much more often? Uh, but we get busy. We maybe, you know, don't have maybe as much of an organic stimulus as we age. Uh, but sometimes just going through the motions uh, is worth the magic, if you will. And definitely there's so much health supporting effects for cardiovascular health. The oxytocin surge is a natural antidepressant and anxiety reducer. The connection importance with your partner for success in marriage, so much more. So just, just do it is my advice there. (laughs) We've got a couple podcast episodes that I'll link in the show notes to one on aphrodisiac foods, another one with, um, Susan Bratton. Um, and I think she talks in there about how women, um, don't tend to actually get aroused till they're in the act, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, whereas men, it can be kind of like out of They can like nowhere. see a half a boob, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you do, you might have to fake it till you make it or you just 
get get in there. Yep, yep. Uh, and then for your own, you know, development on libido, incorporating more femininity, like hip circles would be really important. I noticed that when I take time to get into my femininity, I am easily, more easily able to be turned on when I'm otherwise in like a more disconnected or masculine, you know, more analytical shutdown space. So I have to do hip circles and, uh, you know, sip on tea and bone broth and warming foods and all the things. All right. If we have poor cortisol, peaks late and drops late, should we fast or start eating breakfast? Okay. So in first, let's kind of touch base on the connection of food and cortisol in general. Food intake will generally lower our body's cortisol levels. And we know that if we prolong restriction from food or elongate fasting, that we can see elevated cortisol levels. And, um, you know, then that can create more hunger or more neurological uh, fight or flight surge. We tend to see epinephrine going up with extended fasting. But what your body defines as fasting or fed state is going to be very specific to your body's circadian rhythm. Uh, It sounds like obviously this individual has an off circadian rhythm with the impact of that peaking. I don't know what late and late refers to, but let's just say for intent and purpose that cortisol instead of peaking at 7 a.m. is is peaking at 10 a.m. for this individual and that it's also dropping maybe later in the day like um, instead of cascading down at 6 p.m. it's cascading down at 10 p.m. or Mm -hmm. something like that Um, and so you know for this individual I likely during that peak would actually consider incorporating food Um, I would maybe try to stimulate a peak earlier with some hormesis while supporting the adrenals Uh, but I would want to know the total cortisol output to know if we're in a stage three insufficiency or a stage one of optimal total, but just the values are, you know, excess or off. So that's where I rinse and repeat (laughs) would want to look at the uh, four point cortisol trend, like in the neurohormone panel. But from what I'm hearing again, what I would imagine is I would support them with adrenal support, which is my glandular supplement. Uh, and then I would also layer in the adaptogen boost and the BioC plus. Those three would be big players to support the cortisol metabolism, especially that BioC plus plays a big role with dopamine regulation and also cortisol metabolism. Um, and then those adaptogens key at kind of regulating the stress story. And I'd place that first adrenal support at true rise, like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And then I would, along with the adaptogen boost and the first morning C, and then I would do something with hormesis to stimulate a stress response. So this might be like a cold plunge. This might be a sauna session. This might be more of a hit training or intensive exercise to try to kind of provoke a a new circadian and ideally we would incorporate outdoor light within those first 30 minutes immediately to teach the brain this is the rise time let's go at them Um, I wouldn't force feed at that first hour because you're trying to retrain like a cortisol response and then at that 10 a.m. though maybe instead of fasting until noon is when I would have that meal Mm -hmm. to try to bring down that that instead of where the cortisol is trying to peak bring that back down and teach it that this is not the time that were stimulated. Um, and then, uh, you know, going based on the evening would really depend on how things shifted from that, that morning first intervention. But I'd likely say then supporting, of course, light shifts in the evening would be the best thing to prevent that delayed drop, making sure we're staying away from the blue light, um, making sure that we're watching the sunset if possible, uh, and then layering in 
guess what? Relax and regulate and calm and clear in the evening too. Yep. Yep. So like looking at your night routine, seeing if there's something you're doing kind of exogenously to stimulate that later, you know, peak um, state, because if your cortisol is still up in the evening, you're not getting that optimal, you know, melatonin and your morning isn't going to happen the no way doubt. that it should. Um, so really look at, at that evening, um, maybe bring in some melatonin um, with our sleep support. And for sure, the calm and clear in the evening, I think, um, is a great tool as well. No doubt. And then, you know, just to know overall when considering fasting, uh, we'd probably fast less because there is some adrenal insufficiency or dysregulation. And so, you know, I would say max 12 or 14 hour fast versus like a 16 hour fast. Sure. So yeah, maybe yeah. more of like breaking at 10 a.m. and then wrapping things up by 7.38 kind of thing. Yep. yep. All right, let's do this next one. If we have PCOS and cysts at age 30, what fertility testing do you recommend before trying to have kids? I think testing wise, we'd probably be kind of similar recommendations yeah. as prior, right? Yeah. You know, so again, you probably have had, if you know that you have cysts, you've probably had transvaginal and abdominal ultrasounds to measure and monitor cyst size. Uh, the number one way that I have clinically witnessed time and time and time and time again, uh, quote unquote, miracle pregnancies and reduced size of both fibroids and ovarian cysts is with inflammazyme berberine boost and relax and regulate. That's like the trifecta for this area of focus. So inflamazyme is necessary at six to eight per day. This is going to be a blend of proteolytic enzymes, which basically break down tissue buildup. Uh, this is where cysts actually literally get broken down and fibroids as well. And it's combined with anti-inflammatory botanicals to help to get deeper into the networks to break down buildup and also reduce inflammatory process. Uh, the relax and regulate, I won't muse on too much because I did in today's ad, uh, but one and a half to two scoops in the evening, really important. Uh, the berberine boost two twice daily, and we've seen amazing outcomes with adenomyosis. Um, we've seen re really good outcomes with uterine tissue change in general, uh, less adhesions, as well as less fibroid and cyst formation with the use of berberine. Um, and so getting that two twice daily is getting close to a gram per day. And then um, I generally, when we're talking about fertility, throw in the women's flora probiotic as well. Uh, but those first three are really what we'd look at for reducing cysts or eliminating cysts. And then I would really, really push the ketogenic diet for sure. Yes. Remembering that PCOS trends with insulin resistance typically. Um, so we'd want to run a fasting insulin. We'd want to look at an A1C. We might want to put on a continuous glucose monitor as an intervention and yeah. see what the heck's going on with your blood sugar. Um, but for sure, I think keto is, is our number one intervention in PCOS. Um, Absolutely. We have done a two-part PCOS episode like way, way back in the 40s. We're probably due for an update just in that department alone. Yes. Um, and then we also have a great YouTube video on all of our top interventions for PCOS. So I'll link both of those in the show notes. That sounds great. And then, you know, as far as what to recommend doing before trying to have kids. You know, I, I wouldn't say that there's a reason to wait or hold off on trying. Uh, you know, I would say that these things will make the uterus more supple and will reduce cysts so that you can have healthy ovulation. And, um, you know, 
you may see pregnancy without having to do advanced testing. But if you wanted to look at other fertility factors, the first thing we would start with again would be the Labrix Neurohormone Complete Plus panel. And then like Becky said, I would secondarily or primarily look at fasting insulin, glucose, and A1C. And then if you really wanted to look at that three-day hormone test that we discussed in the first question that we answered, that would be reasonable too with that AMH and the estradiol and FSH and LH. Yep. All right. Let's do this next one. Thoughts on HRT. I'm 53, postmenopausal with anxiety and some recent belly fat. Okay, so the first thing I would say is hormone replacement therapy in a bioidentical form, that there is a place for it and that it can absolutely be a optimizing tool to support healthy hormonal shifts in the body. And it can absolutely be necessary for some individuals, especially those with osteoporosis that have significantly lowered uh, estradiol levels. And we need to optimize their E2 into a level that they can actually retain and not continuously break down bone. Uh, We also use for, of course, if there's sexual function issues uh, or vaginal atrophy or breakdown, uh, we would, of course, also use to support just getting into an optimal range in the world of of estrogen or progesterone uh, and even testosterone. But big picture with any form of hormone is that less is more. And we always want to support the body in addressing the root cause of why it's off and then also in its production pathways. Uh, So it's really important if starting any form of hormone that you test your levels. Uh, You never want to guess or make an assumption. And especially if it's not a bioidentical estrogen, that can really get you into trouble. Um, And what I mean by that is that when we're talking about a pharmacological option of estrogen, like any of the vaginal rings out there or uh, topicals or oral options out there, that this is a conjugated estradiol in a synthetic form. Uh, When we talk bioidentical, we're looking at structurally identical to the way that the human body produces. And we're looking at in the world of estrogen, a combination of an 80-20 blend of estriol or E3 to estradiol or E2. Uh, This really protects against estrogen dominance and also is a big way of protecting against estrogen-related cancers as E3 is an antagonist or kind of offsets that estrogen activity. Uh, And then progesterone would also be ideal uh, delivered first as a topical uh, and having that transdermal bioidentical connection. Uh, Progesterone cream usually starts somewhere around 20 milligrams, but will be dosed based on testing and would either be provided cyclical or stagnant depending on if the woman is actively menstruating. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, these bioidenticals or, or just hormone replacement therapy in general recommended without any initial testing. Oh my gosh. Um, and even for cycling women where they're recommended to, you know, go on a pretty hefty dose, like 200 milligrams of, of oral progesterone. And then, um, there's no cyclical nature to it. So they're taking it daily. And I actually just had a client where I'm like, well, that's why your cycle isn't coming. <laughs> Crazy. Right. Um, it's almost as if you're using like a progestin birth control. You're just keeping that stagnant level. Wow of progesterone throughout the month and your uterine lining is never being allowed to shed. Um, so I think just that being said, test first, um, yes. test don't guess, or if you're already on one of these forms, test now so that we know um, kind of a point in time where you're at and can adjust appropriately. 
No doubt. And I would say with the anxiety and belly fat, we could make the assumption that maybe you're low progesterone and maybe you have excess estrogen or something going on in your estrogen metabolism. Uh, what I could say for certainty would be a safe intervention is Brocco Detox. Uh, this is a really fantastic tool of broccoli sprout added with the myoracinase. And um, this aids in the active antioxidants of the glucoraphin uh, to be most bioavailable. Um, and so this is a great way to support as those Eindol 3 carbonyl compounds, the detox and metabolism of estrogen, which would help with that belly fat. Uh, and this also could help in some sense with the anxiety and just to support antioxidant status as well. Uh, and then without a doubt, you could also layer in the relax and regulate, which will tonify hormone expression and can support progesterone production by offsetting that chronic stress response. And, you know, doing a actual 10 day detox with our detox packs could be a great way to, uh, mobilize some body fat. And also with, when we move fat, we move excess hormone and we know that our body fat cells themselves are estrogenic. Uh, and so, you know, there is that hormonal influence when we shed the body fat that that could also help to self-correct the hormone. Yep. And then back to the recommendation of keto, probably for this individual as well, especially with the gain of that belly fat. Um, And if postmenopausal, you may need to do keto a little bit differently than if you had tried it prior to menopause, right? Absolutely. And that'd be another reason to join our program uh, because we'll help handhold you through the process. You're likely going to want more protein. Uh, You would address fasting differently, uh, but absolutely keto because that would help with the belly fat the weight loss, but alts and the hormones, which come with the weight loss, right? Uh, but also the note that, you know, keto is the baseline approach for my anti-anxiety diet because ketosis helps to mellow out our brain and to aid in GABA production and to offset that epinephrine or that fight or flight surge. So going keto in itself would be very grounding as well. Yes. All right, let's do this one. I'm 35 and not married. Do I need to get my eggs frozen? How do I make sure my egg health is optimal? So kind of coming back to that first question, but let's go a little deeper. Yes. I, I want to just say like for all of the listeners, everyone take a big breath. And again, know that stress is the number one driver of infertility. So take a deep breath and know that your body is capable and that we are seeing, I was trying to statistically look, I'll have to include this in part two, because someone asked me like, when's the safest age that I can get pregnant? Um, I just celebrated a birth blessing way for a friend that's 40 years old with her first baby. And I believe intends to have another, um, you know, we continued. She had her this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and well, it was sat- it was Saturday morning, oh, 1 okay. a.m. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the <laughs> yeah, meal yeah. chain email went out. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, yes. So um, just that, again, I think that we used to have, even me in my early 30s, this uh, preconceived notion of, you know, risk factors with mm-hmm. geri- they call it a geriatric pre- pregnancy at age 36, I believe. Is, 35. Is 35 plus. Yep. So you become high risk and geriatric at 35. Right. So. Great. <laughs> and I think statistically, we'll continue to see the, the lower risk factors as we see a higher population of later aged pregnancies of healthy women that maybe have more optimal hormones in their late thirties than they did in their their late twenties. Uh, that could be lifestyle based based on alcohol or other poor toxin choices of beauty products, et cetera. Um, that could be based on stress that could be based on not nourishing themselves and being 
deficient in, you know, important nutrients. So just all that to say (laughs) as a little bit of a precursor is that, um, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of advanced testing to do, but there's always space to check in on what your hormones are telling you about your body and to use that information to thrive, feel like the best version of yourself. And also coincidentally set yourself up for optimal uh, fertility, but we don't have to all like run like chickens with our heads cut off at like age 35 or ticking time bombs. It's not a magic number. Yes. There's nothing, you know, you at 35 compared to someone else at 35 is also totally different, right? Yes. So anyway, but how, you know, how do you make sure your egg health is optimal? Now, if you're actually looking into the process of freezing eggs, this is then when I would do that three-day hormone test and a transvaginal ultrasound for sure. So that an OBGYN can tell you if you have optimal follicle health and that you look like you have great viability or things look a little bit higher risk or uh, a little bit more stressed than anticipated at your age range. And this is where also, again, you could take into account, you know, the AMH value Uh, both of these again can be greatly impacted by stress and we see huge influence on egg quality from oxidative stress in particular. Uh, and so we've seen that CoQ10 can play a role with both actually levels of the equation. It can increase the reserve quantity and it can, um, have a cool impact on actually reducing the toxin exposure in the body, which can have a huge influence on the oocyte uh, mitochondrial function and then fertility process. So we see less oxidative stress, healthier eggs, um, and better embryo quality when optimized CoQ10 stores. So I think that this is one pro-vigilantly, again, independent of getting a number of AMH, keep rocking your body with CoQ10 as a food as medicine source. And then if you know that your risk factor, or maybe you are above age 35, then maybe you start supplementing with CoQ10 to optimize reserves and quality of eggs. Totally. And if you do have a partner at this time, I might have them just pass them a CoQ10 with their supplement load as well. Um, Because we also see studies on sperm motility in CoQ10. Yes. And again, what's lovely about the functional medicine approach and food as medicine is that when you're optimizing CoQ10, you're also supporting energy production because you're fueling your mitochondria, right? So this means that you have less fatigue, you have more vigor, you have better stamina and cognitive function should be improved. We should also see with CoQ10 really favorable outcomes, of course, with cardiovascular world. So when we're looking at prevention of heart disease or heart incident, CoQ10 is a really great baseline tool. So when looking at dosing of CoQ10, you might start with 100 milligrams just as a baseline. You'll notice when you go onto our CoQ10 complex page that there's a drop down of either a 200 milligram dosage or 100. Um, so 100, if it's just kind of like I'm thinking about, you know, fertility in the next couple of years, or if we are in quote unquote that advancing age category, or there's a known, you know, risk factor, that's when I would employ the 200 milligram CoQ10. All right. And then in the diet, we're looking at CoQ10 from organs, essentially. So this is a great prescription to get some Pacific Northwest oysters uh, or incorporate some salmon roe into your diet. I love that on pork rinds. Uh, And then getting organs in your grinds. Uh, We can link our chicken nugget recipe in case y'all missed it. I don't know that we've talked about it on the podcast, Uh, but it incorporates from uh, force of nature meets their chicken, uh, which incorporates uh, organs in their heart, 
liver. I believe uh, they put back fat in there, and I think they put kidney as well. Uh, and then you're, there's also ancestral blends that you can get from your farmer's market, uh, but Force of Nature is one company that you can buy buffalo ancestral blend, beef ancestral blend, and chicken. So a great way to get organs already mixed in your diet. Yes. So one way to take kind of the intimidation factor out of the organs, um, our mineral sponsor for today's episode is another way. Yes. So Noble uh, provides organ complex in a powdered blend of high quality beef organs from New Zealand sourced grass-fed beef liver, heart, kidney, pancreas, and spleen. They provide you an easy opportunity to bring nose-to-tail nutrition to your household without having to scapegoat or navigate a gamey flavor profile or a high volume intake. You can use their Noble Organs Blend as a qualitative way to level up your smoothies or protein shakes in a delicious way that you can boost your nutrition profile. This would be a great way to get CoQ10, B vitamins, bioavailable minerals such as iron and zinc, and so much more. We know that organs are one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, so this is really a great way to get nature's multivitamin into your family with just a teaspoon a day. Go on over to NobleOrigins.com. Use Allie Miller RD at checkout, and that will save on your order of quality organ complex that you can use daily in your shakes and smoothies. NobleOrigins.com. Use Allie Miller RD to save. Yes, so no excuse for getting the organs in if you don't even really have to taste them, right? No doubt, no doubt. I've been able to sneak it by Brady and Stella, okay. and you know, I'm not a proponent of necessarily sneaking. I have let them know, so they know that they're getting that boost of nutrition. But I, what I mean by sneaking is they don't know the difference of if it's in there or if it's not. Yeah, totally. Or you tell them after they've had a few. That's sips usually what I do. Versus like. <laughs> Here's your organ drink. Um, yes, for sure. <laughs> All right. So beyond CoQ10 as a way to support egg health overall, we want just overall high antioxidant status. I think that's another really big point to hit home. Yes, absolutely. So other food is medicine support. Incorporating tea daily in the diet is a great way to boost up your ORAC score. So I've been doing this a lot now that I'm finally settled in my office where I'm brewing like a green sencha tea. I have this sencha cherry blossom and then I have a coconut oolong as my midday and then evening I have a rooibos with peach. Um, and that's been a really great way to also reduce in the evening wine consumption because I have it in a wine glass, which yes, wine for resveratrol, sure. But I think overall when we're looking at antioxidants, we're probably safer with tea versus alcohol yes. um, as, a, as a pro-oxidant. And I know alcohol will find me on social times, et cetera. Um, so that's something that you could start to employ, uh, incorporating matcha again in your morning ritual, uh, and then getting antioxidants and herb seasonings and spices. So always leveling up you know, your breakfast taco on the Siete tortilla with added scallions and cilantro, um, making sure that you're adding fermented hot sauce. Um, just really banging with flavor and color is a really great way to get there to make sure that you're offsetting oxidative stress or the overall aging process throughout the body, which would impact egg health too. Totally. And then on a supplement level, we might want to bring in cellular antiox. Um, NAC in particular, we've seen studies of um, women supplementing with NAC improving rates of live birth and ovulation in those with PCOS. Uh, so that's always a big one. And especially in kind of the unknowns of 
whatever variant season sure we're in yeah yeah that needs its own episode yep. for sure yeah we'll talk about it <laughs> but you know we've seen glutathione also which is the counterpart in our cellular antioxidants uh NAC and glutathione uh, acetylated form of glutathione and we've seen glutathione to support both male and female fertility, improving sperm health and egg quality, uh, and also noting that glutathione protects eggs directly from damage. So we have that two for one there. And then, you know, NAC has been shown to have favorable influence even on endometriosis related pain and ovarian endometriomas. Uh, so this in turn can also support fertility outcomes while reducing peritoneal inflammation and aiding in that egg health. So definitely a power player for fertility there with the cellular antiox. Okay, let's hit this next one and maybe a little more rapid fire here as we close things out. Ways to boost progesterone naturally. I have spotting a few days before my period. Okay, so we do think of progesterone as the hormone that peaks post-ovulation, and then the dropping of progesterone at the end of our cycle is what should create that on-site of menstrual cycle or menstrual flow. And that is a strong indicator. Often if we see like, we'll call it like rust blood or like brown or rust color spotting prior to that bright red menstrual flow, that would be an indicator of low progesterone. Uh, so I think that getting that value up first with food as medicine and supplement support before leaning into bioidentical is something you could definitely consider. Um, the first thing I would make sure is that you have enough fat in your diet uh, to support hormone production. Um, and so this would be making sure that you're getting in ample olive oil and grass-fed butter, uh, fattier cuts of meats uh, for a good steric acid in there, um, because steroidal hormones require ample fat as building block. Uh, so this would be some time where maybe you've gone higher protein or you've gone lower fat in your diet or you've made some metabolic shifts. This would be the time to kind of refeed with fat. So maybe revisiting something like maybe not a fat-fueled coffee, Coffee, but adding fat to your tea um, or blending it into a smoothie. Um, and the reason why I would say maybe not coffee is the connection of stress with progesterone decline. Um, and that's kind of like the number one cause. So we make sure there's enough fat in the diet, but we need to make sure that the adrenals are regulated and that you're not right now in a fight or flight surge because that's going to steal your progesterone through that pregnenolone steal. And you'll actually convert your progesterone into cortisol as a survival response instead of making that supportive progesterone. Yes. Um, I think all good points. And then if we are having, um, spotting or, um, you know, irregularity of flow, I guess in general, inflammasome also could be a solution, yeah. um, to bring in and maybe just doing that a few days before your periods, like day, you know, if you're a classic day 28 or like day 24 on, you could bring in inflammasome two to three at rise, two to three at bed. I think that's a good call because often we'll see this kind of pre-perimenopause and this can be when the uterine tissue is thickening. Uh, and so that can start to kind of, that inflammasome can support the breakdown of the uterine tissue or the uterine wall lining, which would likely influence that spotting favorably. And then as far as supplementally supporting the progesterone, we'd want to bring in our BioC plus. Um, we've seen in research studies that uh, vitamin C at 750 milligrams. So each of our BioC plus capsules is 600 milligrams, uh, but 750 milligrams of vitamin C can increase progesterone levels by 77% increase. Uh, so pretty remarkable there. So I would say the bio C plus at one capsule twice daily 
going to yield 1.2 grams or 1200 milligrams, definitely over what was used in the study. And I will say as a testament from self-testing that uh, when I was on bioidentical progesterone, I started that back in 2014, got pregnant in 2015, and uh, went back on that after Stella postpartum for a couple years, but have not been on bioidentical progesterone now for three years because of the consistency of vitamin C supplementation with the bad season or pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's been interesting to watch uh, that my progesterone values are falling in the 200s, whereas before I wasn't able to keep them in the 150s or above. Yeah. And then remembering that vitamin C is also an antioxidant. So kind of hearkening back to that question on egg health and antioxidant status. Yeah. um, Plus whatever bad seasons coming down the pipeline. A little double dip, like you said, with the cellular antioxidants. I think that can't hurt. Yep. Yes. All right. Should we do one more? Yeah. This is a quick one, I think. (laughs) Do your detox packs help reduce excessive estrogen? I'm on bioidentical hormones. So would they be appropriate in that scenario? So absolutely. In fact, every time I see an elevation of estrogen, the number one thing I do is put that patient on a 10-day detox using the Reset Restore Renew packs cyclically, where you're taking two daily all 10 days and adding a third pack for four days in the middle, uh, and then keeping on a pack until that entire box of 60 packets is gone. And then I even do one more box of 60 until we confirm by lab value that that estrogen level is regulated. I also put them on one twice daily of Brocco Detox. Uh, But what also needs to happen is a dose reduction from the practitioner. If you're not getting a dose reduction, that means that you have the autonomy to do day reduction of application. So, um, you know, if it's a topical and you can adjust the milliliters and, you know, reduce from a quarter milliliter or a couple clicks to, you know, one, et cetera, that would be reasonable. Um, You would want to do this likely coordinated with a practitioner. So you're not just shooting in the dark, but you have to mop up and soak up the excess well, you also reduce the lighter fluid. Right. <laughs> it's really right, important. Right. Yep. I think that's a, a good point not to just continue on that high dose if you're seeing estrogen dominance. Um, you might not need the bioidentical anymore. Right. You know? No doubt. Um, things may have kind of self-corrected and you might need a little break from it. Awesome. Well, that's all we have in today's jam-packed episode. I hope that all of our direct solutions and interventions come helpful for all of you listeners, or you've had a couple aha connections in today's episode. Uh, Again, we appreciate you all as supporters of the Naturally Nourished podcast, YouTube channel, uh, being a member of our Food is Medicine family, and a shopper over at AllieMillerRD.com. If you haven't joined us in our keto class, go on over and grab a spot. We'd love to have you join this round and to be resilient and feeling amazing in your body this fall. And again, last call timely for current supplement pricing that will go up on Tuesday. Uh, Again, not significantly so, and we still are so proud and honored to support you and your households with the best products on the market. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.